Good morning. How is everyone this morning? Before I get into my teaching this morning, I wanted to look at something a little more lighthearted. Um, Tam and I subscribe to an online news service, a newsletter. It's called The Source Daily. Is anyone familiar with that? Well, it's a very conservative, Christian-based newsletter that what they do, they do have some staff writers, but they also have people that scour the internet and bring very conservative stories to this newsletter. A lot of stories that are lost in back pages of the newspapers. And as I was looking at this the other day, I I know everyone can't see this picture, but you recognize who that is? Al Gore, yes. Mr. Gore's in the news again. And the headline says, Gore agrees to hold his breath to stop global warming. I had to let that sink in for a minute there, because yes, it is true. And, this, and it says here, only two weeks after warning that the world that cigarette smoking was destroying the earth, Al Gore made the announcement that he will spend a total of one hour each day holding his breath to stop global warming. And he says, besides cigarette smoking, breathing also causes global warming. We breathe out carbon dioxide, and this in turn causes global warming. I'm going to start holding my breath for two minutes, 30 times a day, in order to combat global warming. And I would suggest everyone follow my lead and hold your breath every day. It will prevent the earth from being destroyed. (laughs) Now, I would hold my breath for two minutes, 30 times a day if it would keep him out of the news. That's amazing, isn't it? Next, um, I thought it was appropriate due to our our, um, Sunday school class, this little joke that I have here titled, An Atheist in the Woods. An atheist was taking a walk through the woods, admiring all that the accident of evolution had created. What majestic trees, what powerful rivers, what beautiful animals, he said to himself. As he walked alongside the river, he heard a rustling in the bushes behind him. He turned to look just in time to see a seven-foot grizzly bear charge towards him. He ran as fast as he could up the path, and he looked over his shoulder and saw the bear closing in on him. He tried to run even faster, so scared that tears were coming to his eyes. He looked over his shoulder again, and the bear was even closer. His heart was pumping frantically as he tried to run even faster, but he tripped and fell on the ground. He rolled over to pick himself up and saw the bear right on top of him, raising his paw to kill him. At that very instant, he cried out, Oh my God! Just then, time stopped. The bear froze. The forest was silent. Even the river stopped moving. A bright light shone upon the man, and a voice came out of the sky, saying, You deny me my existence all these years. Teach others I don't exist even credit my creation to a cosmic accident? And now, do you expect me to help you out of this predicament? Am I to count you as a believer? The atheist, ever so proud, looked into the light and said, It would be rather hypocritical to ask to be a Christian after all these years, but could you make the bear a Christian? (laughs) Very well, said the voice. The light went out, the river ran, the sounds of the force continued. And the bear put his paw down. 
The man breathed a sigh of relief. Then the bear brought both paws together, bowed his head, and said, Lord, I thank you for the food which I am about to receive. <coughs> I thought that was rather humorous. I don't know if you remember here a few weeks ago, I came hobbling in here one Sunday morning after I had sprained my ankle um, playing with my children, and it was painful, and it was um, frustrating. It was a physical pain that I could have done without, and I remember it's been almost 20 years now that uh, my father passed away. And I still remember how painful that was. And that was an emotional type of pain. And you know, all of us have experienced these pains, whether they be physical or whether they be emotional. We're not exempt. None of us is exempt. And we don't always have an option. You know, it's not like it's a buffet line and, and we can go up to the line and say, there's some joy, I like that, and there's some peace, and... And there's some prosperity over here. Ooh, the pain. I'll forget that. And suffering, oh, I don't want any of that. It just doesn't always work that way. But you know, there are some pains that, that we can't avoid because of the choices that we make. Let's just say that I choose to test Newton's theory of gravity and I jump off the roof of my house. Two things will probably happen. This theory will be proved that there is gravity. And the second thing is I'm going to be in some pain because I'm going to hurt. But that was a choice that I made. Maybe I make a bad financial decision, a bad investment, lose a lot of money. First of all, you have to have a lot of money to lose a lot of money, so I'm sure that would probably exclude me from that. But what if I act upon some bad advice that I'm given? You know, right now, President Bush has been under fire a lot for this war in Iraq. And he acted, he acted on advice that he was given from the CIA and many other organizations. And it turns out that it might not have been such good advice. Yet the bottom line here is that pain and suffering is a very integral part of our Christian walk. And when we can get a hold and we can understand this, then we can move on to either learning or coping with this suffering and pain that we're going to experience, and we can do it in a biblical way. So what I'd like to do is I want to look at the issue of, of pain and suffering and see just what the Bible says about it. First of all, the origin of pain. Where did it come from? Well, we can look back in the very first book of the Bible and see that pain is a direct result from the fall. The fall of Adam and Eve. We all know the story of what happened. And in Genesis 3.16, God says to Eve, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain, you shall bring forth children. That's the first mention of pain. There wasn't any pain. They hadn't experienced anything like that prior to that point. I don't need to see a, a show of hands, but how many women in here have, have experienced natural childbirth? I'm sure there's been a lot. How many of you have experienced that without any pain? 
Probably not. How many could have done without the pain? A lot. Well, unfortunately, it's not possible because if you want the natural childbirth, you're going to have the pain. The Bible tells us you're going to get the pain. And Satan is all about pain. He wants nothing more for us as a Christian to suffer. He knows that aside from just the, the aspect of the pain and the suffering, of what it'll cause. It can cause us to doubt, doubt God and his plan for us. It can cause us to be fearful and be confused. And anytime those things happen to us, anytime we experience those aspects, he wins. Satan wins. It's a victory for him. And we can't let him win. We don't want to let him win. We need to remember that no matter how bad it gets, there is an end to it all, and that's heaven. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But Romans 8, 18 says, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. It's redemption. It's an eternal glory with Christ. And he says in there, compared, when you think about this comparison, it's like comparing a grape to a watermelon. There's no comparison. No comparison. Revelation 21.4 says, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. That sounds pretty good to me. No more tears, no more death, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more suffering. You know, there's times when I feel like I'm ready for that. But, as you can see, I'm still here. And I'm sure part of that is God's not finished with me yet. And I like to say I'm a work in progress. But we know there's a beginning, the origin, and there's an end in heaven. But what about in between? Because that's, quite honestly, that's where we're all at right now. It's here and now. It's the day-to-day. -day. It's, it's life. And some of us may be experiencing some great joy and fabulous blessings and life couldn't be better and to that I say praise God but to that I also say at some point that's going to change and there is going to be some pain and suffering in your life and that might be a very bold statement and you say how can I say that and I say I didn't say that. Paul said that in 2 Timothy 3.12 when he said all those who desire to live a godly life in Christ, Jesus, will be persecuted. He didn't say could be. He didn't say might be. He said will be. That's pretty cut and dry to me, and that should leave no doubt. It should leave no doubt. You know, strangely enough, there are people out there, many of them who call themselves Christians, who would deny that any type of pain or suffering could possibly, be, could possibly be God's will for his believers. I mean, after all, they say a loving God. He wouldn't do that. How could he do that? Why would he do that? It doesn't make any sense. You know, after all, the wicked, they're, they're supposed to suffer. 
Job 15:20 said, "All his days the wicked man suffers torment. The ruthless, excuse me, ruthless through all the years stored up for him." It's like Jack over here. Jack, he cheats on his wife. He cheats on his taxes. He embezzled from his job. He should suffer. Me? I pay my taxes, albeit begrudgingly. And I love and adore my wife. I don't even have a job. <clears throat> me suffer? Yeah, me suffer. Why? Well, Scripture says we must. We must suffer. In Acts 9.16, Jesus says to Ananias, he sends him to Paul, and he says, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And again in Acts 14.22, paraphrasing the last part of this, it says, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of heaven. 1 Thessalonians 3.4 in fact, when we were with you, we told you we would be persecuted, and it turned out that way, you well know. The persecution, the pain, the suffering, the trials, the tribulations, all tied together. It's all coming. And if it's any consolation, and it may or may not be, but there's a lot of well-known characters in Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, who experienced much pain and suffering. I'm going to look at a few of these here. Jeremiah in the Old Testament. In chapter 15, verse 18, Jeremiah says, It's my pain unending, and my grievous and incurable. Will you be like a deceptive brook, like a spring that fails? Jeremiah was obviously suffering some terrible pain. And this pain is even tempting him at that point to doubt God's character. And we don't want to go there. We don't want to have any part of that. We all know about Job and all the physical pain and emotional pain that he endured. I'm not really going to get into that, but it's very documented. Isaiah, chapter 21, verse 3, says, At this my body pangs me like those of a woman in labor. That reference back to the birth. He's in pain. David, Psalm 55, 4 says, My heart is severely pained within me, and the terrors of death have fallen upon me. David, a man of God's own heart, is suffering. And Paul, in 2 Corinthians 11, talk about pain and suffering. He's describing some of the things that he's been through, and he says he's been whipped. He's been beaten three times with rods. He was stoned. He was shipwrecked three times. He was imprisoned. He was starved. He was chased. Wow, the life of Riley. Timothy, when Paul writes to him in, in 1 Timothy 5, he says, no longer drink any water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities. He's dealing with some sort of an illness. It doesn't really say. But he's, he's suffering. He's hurting. Epaphroditus in Philippians 2.27 For indeed he was sick almost unto death but God had mercy on him 
So he was obviously dealing with some sort of a serious illness. But what about Jesus? He suffered. In Matthew 16, 21, he says, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. Mark 9.31 and Luke 9.22 said the same basic thing. And we know, we know how much Christ suffered on the cross. And, there, and there's other examples in here too. But you know, of all these men, of all the men that, that I just talked about and many more, not one of them suffered because they were wicked. Because they were on the will of God. So when you look at it and you think that suffering suffering's not necessarily an indicator of, of wickedness, nor any type of a spiritual weakness, it's more of a gift. And it's a gift that it's entrusted to us to help strengthen us and to sharpen our focus on God. And Philippians 1.29 says, But it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. And the word granted means to be given, to be given to us. It's a gift to suffer for his sake. And, you know, I admit, this was, would not be the, the typical type of gift that I would get extremely excited about, but I should. You think about the story of Peter and the other apostles in, in Acts chapter 5 where they had been preaching and they had been arrested and imprisoned and the angel came and, and loosed the bars and let them out and they went right back to the temple and started preaching again and of course the Pharisees came and arrested them again and, and this time instead of putting them in prison they just told them, well they beat them first so there was some pain involved there and they told him to cease from speaking in the name of Jesus. Cease from speaking in the name of Jesus. And then they let them go. And in chapter 5, verse 40, it says, So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. They were excited. They were enthused about their suffering because they realized they were being likened to Christ. And that's what we should want too, is to be likened to Christ. Be wor <clears throat> excuse me, to be worthy of Him. And it really should be. It should be our goal. Second Corinthians one five says, For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. And this is again I admit something I'm still trying to get a hold of, a good grip on. comfort and reward we will receive for him. Just in here that these seem never ending sometimes. And I know we've all been in situations where we ever going to end. Will it ever stop? 
whether it be a physical pain again or emotional pain or a situation that you're just dealing with, life in itself, is this going to stop? It's coming. It might be right in the middle of it right now. Very possibly. So what do we do about it? What can we do? What should we do? How do we react? You know, what's our perspective on all of this? There's a few ways that I looked at here that I think we can react. To in Acts 5, and that's rejoicing. And again, usually that would not be my first reaction, to rejoice when I'm in a bad situation, when I'm suffering or there's pain or, or whatever the case may be. And most likely, for most of us, it's not. But Scripture tells us that we should rejoice. Again, in 1 Peter 4, 12 through 13, Peter writes, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. The word strange there is sort of a, uh, another word for unusual. And when you think about it, there's, there's nothing unusual about it. There's nothing unusual about our suffering. We're all going to experience it in some way, shape, or form. It won't be unusual. It won't be strange. And then again it says, something strange happened, like something strange happened. Unusual happened. And the word happened in the text just means to fall by chance, or it's random. And to think that it's just random, he's telling them, don't think it's random because it's not random. It didn't happen by chance. Nothing falls by chance. Because God allows or causes everything. And the situations that we deal with, they just don't come accidentally. God's using those to cleanse us, strengthen us, and sometimes even to test us. And you know, when I think about it that way and understand and realize that God is allowing me to go through this because it's for my benefit, then I can rejoice in that because it's another proof to me that God loves me. You know, I thought about when we were raising our children and we, we make them do things or we keep them from things that are going to have an adverse effect or a negative effect on them because we love them and we want to protect them. But, as happens a lot of times, they don't understand or they don't agree. And, of course, being good parents, we tell them, well, that's what's best for you or that's what's in your best interest. And, you know, someday, someday you'll appreciate it. Well, the day will come, and there will be a day when they do understand, and there will be a day when they're glad. They'll be glad that they were taught the right way from the wrong way. 
by. And for them, there will also be a time that they've endured. And you know, it's easy to rejoice or to celebrate when things are good. You know, life is good. Things come our way. You know, a new grandson. That's an excellent thing to rejoice about. Maybe you're, again, you had a good investment and your stocks triple. Or favorite team wins the World Series. By the way, on a side note, why do they call it the World Series teams from the United States play in it? Anyway, it takes a lot of faith and trust to rejoice when you're hurting, when you're in, when you're, when you're in pain, when you're in the middle of the suffering. It, you, you can't get through it without trust and faith. Another reaction here I wanted to look at is to be content. And Philippians 4, 11 through 12, Paul writes, Not that I speak in regard to need, but I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And I mentioned a minute ago what Paul, some of the things Paul had been through. And he truly did know what it was like to have and to have not. He was a Pharisee. He had, he had a good life financially, and he was looked up to by all these people. Then he became a Christian, and he was persecuted by those same people. He persecuted the Christians again, and when he became one, he was persecuted. And he was in prison, I believe, when he wrote that letter. But whatever his circumstances were, Paul knew that it was God's will and God's plan, and he was right in the middle of it. And he was content to be there because of that. He knew it was God's will. You know, being content with our own situation, our job, our homes, our finances, our relationships, etc., etc., it's difficult enough because the pressure of the world around us is constantly telling us that we don't have enough, that it's not good enough, your car's not good enough, your house is not good enough, your relationships aren't good enough. We need more, we need better, we don't look good enough, we're not healthy enough. And you know, you, you start thinking about that and it's no wonder it's so hard for us um, to just continue because we're constantly bombarded that, that we don't have everything we need or should have. And then you, you tack on dealing with pain and dealing with suffering and quite honestly it could be just another recipe for disaster. We can't let the pressure of the world dictate what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. The next reaction I want to look at leads me right into this is that we shouldn't fear. We shouldn't be fearful. That's another easy one, right? We don't, we don't, it's so easy not to be afraid. Here a few years ago, 
I did a, I had a teaching on, and, and basically I looked at two types of fear, ungodly fear or godly fear or <clears throat> unholy fear. An ungodly fear immobilizes us, it stagnates us, it keeps us from moving forward in our walk with Christ. Because fear causes us to avoid or discontinue things that we need to do. Revelation 2.10, this is um, the letter to the church at Smyrna. It says, Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. In the devil is throw some of you. Be tested. You will have tribulation ten days, but be faithful to death and be the life. Don't be afraid. Hang in there. Persevere. Even at death, you'll receive a reward. This sing occasionally here. Fear not. And one of the things in the song says, "When you walk through the water, I will be there, and through the flame." You'll not be drowned, you'll not be burned, for I am with you. And God's always with us in, in, in any kind of situation like that. And Psalm 23, verse 4 says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. God is our protector. You know, we know the trouble's coming, but we can't let the fear... We can't let fear of the unknown, which is, which is usually what really paralyzes us, is the fear of the unknown. We can't let that overcome us. And instead of being fearful, we should actually see it as a blessing, and that's the next thing I wanted to visit about. It is a blessing. 1 Peter 3.14 says, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. <clears throat> the blessed in this um, means to be privileged or honored, <clears throat> excuse me, honored. To suffer for righteousness sake, honored, privileged. And then in, in verse 17, he writes, For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good, than for doing evil. And you know, I've heard that blessings come in many different shapes and sizes, and they all look different to each of us. And I mentioned children a minute ago and about raising children, and I and my wife fully believe that children are a blessing. They are truly a blessing from God. And you can just look around the room and see the effect of that. You can see how many different shapes and different sizes and all the different ages you know, good health, financial strength, and there's all kinds of others. The point of this all is that some may say it's not necessarily a blessing for, for pain and suffering. The same that would say that God would not cause us to suffer. A good, benevolent God would not cause us to suffer. The same, the same people would say that this is not a blessing. It's a... It's a um, a discipline. But when it, when it comes on the end of our sacrifice for Christ and our adoration of Him and our service of Him, it definitely is a blessing. And 
in Luke 22, it says, Blessed are you when men hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and cast you out. Your name is evil for the Son of Man's sake. And again, that's back to the Acts when Peter and the apostles were rejoicing because of what they'd been through. It's the same point. It's suffering for Christ is a blessing when we are rewarded for it in the end. And we will be. And you know, that may be hard to see right now. But suffering for doing the right thing is truly a blessing. In my opinion, there's, there's no doubt about that. But scripture, scripture can also comfort us in our time of, of discomfort or our time of frustrating pain and suffering. And it does that by reminding us to trust God. Psalm 55, 22 says, Cast your burden on the Lord, and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. And Mike mentioned uh, in the announcements the situation with my job status, and this has been very frustrating for me, to say the least. And I've never been in a position like this in my life where I haven't been working. And especially now, I mean, why couldn't this happen when I was 19? I didn't have a family and I had no children. and I probably didn't care if I worked. But that's not the case. I'm not 19, and I do have a family, a rather large family, and I need to take care of them. So when I think about this every day, <clears throat> you know, it could just beat me down. I, it, it could just turn me to mush. But I constantly remember every day Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. That's my favorite verse, verses in the Bible. And they'll say that trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding because I don't understand why this is happening. Acknowledge him in all your ways, all my ways, and he shall direct my path. He shall make my path straight, some verses say. He's not going to let me fall off the path if I continue to come to him. If I run the other direction, who knows? If I get obnoxious, if I get angry, I don't know. But I'm not going to let that happen. Because I know that God has a plan, and it's a great plan. I need to keep trusting him and lifting that situation up to him, as we all do with situations that we're in that are, that are causing us pain and suffering. And again, I said earlier, it's easy to trust God when life's good. It is. But continuing to trust him when life gets hard is the test. We need to let God do what he does best. And that's everything. He does everything best. I thought about this last night. We have some friends who about a year ago had a little girl. And this little girl had some complications when she was born. And I, Tam and I aren't really completely clear about what happened. But 
somehow through the birthing process she swallowed some of the amniotic fluid and it was in her system for for quite a while and it poisoned her and it caused lung problems it caused brain problems it caused heart problems and when she was born the doctors gave her just a couple of days to live if that well that was a year ago and, and she's still alive she's not out of the woods by any means it's been it's going to be a hard life for her because there are complications but her the reason I brought this up is because her parents have been so strong through this whole thing that it's just been such an encouragement to Tam and I how they have never ever doubted God's hand in all this and I've never been through anything like that so I, I can't relate but I can just imagine what that's like Sean's cousin with the little girl that's that has the problems the down syndrome and I can't imagine going through something like that even with everything I've been through but again their their testimony to me is that they never ever doubted God or his or his plan and that is such an encouragement to us and that kind of leads me into the next thing is how we need to be encouraging and comforting to others through these times as I appreciate the church has been for me. Second Corinthians 1, 3, and 4 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. The comfort we have turns right around and helps us comfort others. It's being able to share what God's given us. Again, it's another gift. Being able to share what he's given us or taught us. Being able to encourage others to keep on going. You know, maybe you've been through a, a similar situation and you have a, a relative or a good friend or another brother and sister in Christ that you've had the opportunity to encourage and comfort when they go through a, a, a difficult situation. You know, when I think about it, when, when someone prays for me specifically, it's just hard to describe my feelings because it's not like they're saying, you know, hey, I hope you get to feeling better. Or I'll be thinking about you. Because they're, they're interceding for me to God. The, God. the God of all creation on my behalf. And He listens. And that's, that's what's so awesome, is that He listens to your prayers for me, my prayers for you. We comfort each other that way. We need to keep encouraging and lifting each other up. We need to continue to do that. And as a group, I think we do a wonderful job of that. You know, our prayers are so powerful. And we never want to discount how important and valuable they are. Never. There's also 
some spiritual benefits that we can, or some spiritual attributes that we can glean from pain and suffering. And I'm going to briefly go through these here. But the first is spiritual maturity. And I talked about that here uh, a few months back. But in 1 Peter 5.10, it says, But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. He says, run the race, do the do, persevere, endure what life brings, and God will reward us by strengthening our faith. And when, we, when our faith is strengthened, that helps us be submissive. It helps us be humble. It helps us trust. It makes us more loving and more caring and more aware of what's going on around us. You know, I fully believe the more difficult the situation is, the harder it is, the more spiritually we'll be more spiritually mature will be in the end when we endure. Patience is one of those things that a lot of us are lacking of, I guess I should say. And that's another attribute that we can glean from pain and suffering. 1 Peter 2.20 says, For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently. But when you do good and suffer, if you take that patiently, this is commendable before God. Maybe you're not the kind of person that could use more patience. But maybe you are. You maybe situations frustrate you rather quickly. Sometimes it doesn't seem like things are moving fast enough. You like rapid results. The microwave's not even fast enough for you. Remember, Scripture tells us to be anxious for nothing. Patience in our suffering is commendable before God. We're earning God's favor by accepting the position, accepting the situation that we're in, and waiting for Him to work out the details, allowing Him to do what He does best. And finally, here, the promise that God has made to us. First Timothy 2.12 says, If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. That reward, that promise that God has made to us is to reign with Christ in his eternal kingdom. You know, accepting Christ as our Savior, that grants us entrance to his kingdom. But it's everything we do from that point on that decides what, what the rewards will be when we get there. But the promise is that there will be as long as we do what we need to do. 
And you know, persevering through pain and suffering, it's just, this is just one of the things in life that we deal with. And it may be a, a big one, it may be a smaller one with you. It's the responsibilities that we have as his children to endure and to, and to with. One piece of the puzzle, and there's a lot more pieces. The more pieces we add to this puzzle, though, and the more we get a grip and get a hold of, the closer we'll be to him. Before I close here, I have another little story I'd like to read. The story is titled, The Blacksmith. And it says, You perhaps recall the story of the blacksmith who gave his heart to God. Though conscientious in his living, still he was not prospering materially. In fact, it seems that from the time of his conversion, more trouble, affliction, and loss were sustained than ever before. Everything seemed to be going wrong. One day... A friend who was not a Christian stopped at the little gorge to talk to him. Sympathizing with him in some of his trials, the friend said, It seems strange to me that so much affliction should pass over you just at the time when you have become an earnest Christian. Of course, I don't want to weaken your faith in God or anything like that, but here you are. God's help and guidance, and yet things seem to be getting steadily worse. I can't help wondering why that is. The blacksmith did not answer immediately, and it was evident that he had thought the same question before. But finally he said, You see here the raw iron which I have to make into horse's shoes? You know what I have to do with it? I take a piece and heat it in the fire until it is red, almost white with the heat. Then I hammer it unmercifully to shape it as I know it should be shaped. And then I plunge it into a pail cold, or excuse me, into a pail of cold water to temper it. And then I heat it again and hammer it some more. And I do this until it's finished. But sometimes I find a piece of iron that won't stand up under this treatment. The heat and the hammering and the cold water are too much for it. I don't know why it fails in the process, but I know it will never make a good horse's shoe. He pointed to a heap of scrap iron that was near the door of his shop and said, When I get a piece that cannot take the shape and temper, I throw it out on the scrap heap. It will never be good for anything. And then he went on to say, I know that God has been holding me in the fires of affliction, and I felt his hammer upon me, but I don't mind. If only he can bring me to what I should be. And so in all these hard things, my prayer is simply this. Try me any way you wish, Lord. Only don't throw me on the scrap heap. <clears throat> In closing here, two quick points. Suffering, it's all part of God's plan. It's all part of his plans for our benefit and for our glory. Or I'm sorry, for his glory. Excuse me. We also know, though, that the suffering will come to an end. There will be a day when it's over. We'll be freed from all the pains, all the tears, all the trials and tribulations. And that's the day that we're all looking forward to. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we 
Thank you, Lord, for this time this morning to be here before you and with you. And Lord, you are so aware of our situations among all of these wonderful folks here this morning. You know just exactly what's going on in everyone's life. There's no surprises to you. Lord, many of us are dealing with difficult situations, whether that be a physical pain, whether it be an emotional pain, whether it be frustration from something. And Lord, it would be so easy to allow Satan to win in this battle. But Lord, that's, that's not our goal. That's not what we desire to do. Our desire is to defeat him. Our desire is to win the race for your glory. And when these difficult times come, when the pain comes, when the suffering comes, Lord, I pray that, that each of us would be able to, to reach out to the other and encourage and comfort. And always remember, Lord, that you told us you would never leave us nor forsake us. And that our pain and our suffering is strengthening us and preparing us, getting us ready for the day when we stand before you. We love you. We praise you, Father, and we give you all the glory now. In Jesus' name, amen.